What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly, and today's a takeaways episode. And if you're new here, what a takeaways episode is, is where I sit down and I talk to you about the most recent podcast episode of the week. And today we're discussing my conversation with Nick Sharma. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the full podcast yet, no worries. A little bit of a background on Nick. Nick is the CEO and founder of Sharma Brands, which specializes in advising and investing in direct-to-consumer companies. Before that, he worked as the, I believe, head of direct-to-consumer at Hint. Water was his title. And then he transitioned over to VaynerMedia, where he was the head of direct-to-consumer for VaynerMedia. And even if we go back further than that, when he was in high school, he was managing social medias for people like Pitbull, Priyanka Chopra, Jay Sean, Magic. It's just crazy. He's a Forbes 30 under 30. He's only 23 years old. And he's someone that I kind of wanted to have on the podcast for over a year now. I think when I was first introduced to Nick Sharma as a personality, as a person, was through a podcast he did with Sarah Dietschy on her podcast, That Creative Life. And it wasn't just Dick, it was him and his friend, David Perel, who we also talked about in this podcast. And it was the two of them on the show with Sarah and I was just blown away. I was like, wow, there's so much smart information and value out of this podcast. I'd love to have both David and Nick on the podcast. So it was really cool to finally get Nick after a year of thinking like this would be a great guest for the show to have him on the podcast. I want to give a shout out to Swish Goswami, who's uh, the guest on episode number 77 of the podcast. If you want to go and check out that episode, but he introduced me to Nick. So he's part of the reason that this podcast happened. And yeah, I want to talk about a couple different things from my conversation with Nick. I've even got one thing in here that I want to talk about that uh, we did not actually have time for on the podcast. We only had an hour of recording and I had a ton of notes going into this. So I had to pick and choose exactly what we talked about. I kind of bounced around a little bit during the interview um, just because there were so many different things I wanted to try and talk to Nick about. So there's even a thing I want to do a little more of a deep dive into that. I I picked up through research and through a previous conversation with Nick that wasn't on the podcast. So we're also going to get into some of that as well. And the first thing that I want to talk about is influencer marketing. I want to talk about how Nick approaches influencer marketing, specifically how he approached it during his time with Hint. So what they would do is they would send out product to different influencers for free, almost at random, and they would kind of observe how these influencers would what they do when they receive the product. Would they not say anything? Would they shout them out on an Instagram story? Maybe put it in a YouTube video, maybe post it on Instagram. They kind of watch how they'd react to the content. People that did stuff and promoted the product for free, then they know that these people are actually interested in the product and then they'd approach them to do paid collaborations. And what they then do, they'd of course, they do like the standard, like 30 seconds at the end of a video or at the beginning of a YouTube video, whatever it might be. But an interesting thing that they did, and Nick said not a lot of people were doing it at the time and they still aren't really doing it now, is they would get creators to make content in their own style, complete creative freedom. And then what they do is they take that content. The creator wouldn't have to post it organically. It wouldn't have to go on a YouTube video, wouldn't have to go on their Facebook, Instagram page, whatever. But they take that creative that this creator has made that looks like regular content in their style, their voice, and they'd upload it into Facebook Ads Manager and they'd push it out as an ad from the creator instead of from Hintwater. So this looks super organic, right? Of course, they tag it properly so it it's clearly an ad, but it's the video and the creative looks like something that that creator would put out. The best type of advertising doesn't feel like advertising, and that's a great way to do it. It looks like an organic post. It's in the creative style of the influencer. It's the influencer. It's 100% in there. They have the creative freedom to make it look like their own content. So people will actually watch and engage with that one as if it's an organic post because it looks and feels like one. It, 
and it's going to the audience of people that actually care about this person. So it's a super effective way to go about influencer marketing. I thought it was, I remember hearing about this. This is actually when I first heard about this, Nick talked about it back on the podcast he did with Sarah Dietschy. I believe it was January, 2019. It was early 2019 when I heard that podcast and it absolutely blew my mind when I heard him say that. So I had to ask him and talk about that on here. One, just so I could ask him one just ask about it and two because i think it's so crazy i want to share that information with you the listener i want you to hear that strategy because i think it's so smart and one thing i think that's really important with that whole strategy is giving the creators the influencers that creative freedom that's extremely important i feel like a lot of brands have a difficult time doing that they want the video to look a certain way they want them to use a certain language they want the product to look to be featured in a specific way they want to use a certain copy when it's posted which I understand why, and it might be difficult to relinquish that creative, that relinquish the control 100% to the influencer. But at the end of the day, especially if you're going to use it in, a, in the context that Nick is using it, or even if the influencer is posting it on their account, if it doesn't look like their content, people aren't going to resonate with it. Why the creative that Nick and Hint Water used was so successful is because they let the creator make it completely in their own style, completely in their own voice. So when they posted it, it would look and feel like their actual content. It would make people actually watch and engage with it. Like I said, people don't like to be sold to. The best type of selling doesn't feel like selling. So if they're creating content that their audience can tell is, isn't genuine because they're trying to promote this product, it's not going to resonate well with the audience because the result isn't going to perform well and it's not, you're not going to get the most return for the money you're spending to work with this influencer. So if you give them that creative freedom, they're not going to paint your product in a bad light. They're going to do their best job to make the product look as awesome as they can in their style so their audience resonates with that content. So a really big important piece to influencer marketing is letting go of that creative control and giving it to the influencer and letting them do what they do best. They are full-time content creators trust them to create good content for you. I know it might sound pretty easy to let the content creators create good content, but a lot of brands don't do that, which is crazy. And another crazy part to this is that this is kind of ties in actually what we talked about in the last takeaways episode last week was to give away your best information for free. Nick's done this. Like I said, I heard about the strategy from Nick over a year ago now when he was on Sarah DG's podcast, that's when I first heard about this. January 2019, we'll say, I believe is around the time it came out. We're sitting now, Nick and I recorded this in March of 2020. You're going to hear this in May of 2020. And he said that people still aren't doing this very often. He said people definitely weren't doing it back then. They still aren't really doing this today, which is crazy. But Which is crazy when you consider that Nick has been saying this strategy for over a year now. He's saying how effective it's when he's been do he did this strategy about over two years ago and he's been talking about it for over a year now. Maybe even longer, which is crazy. And brands still aren't picking up and still aren't doing this. And that comes back into give away your best information for free. Nick is giving away information and tactics like this that work for free, which builds his brand, which builds trust in him as a direct to consumer and just as a marketer as a whole. And a lot of people aren't copying him. And so I just want to, I'm putting that out there to reiterate the fact that giving away your best information for free doesn't mean everybody's going to copy you. It's going to make them want to work with you or they're going to make them want to collaborate with you. It's not going to, they're not going to steal it and never work with you. By giving away that information, Nick's building a brand, which builds an audience, which again creates connections. It's just giving away your best information for free is the, is the right way is the is the right way to do it don't keep all of your best information close to your chest 
because at the end of the day, by giving it away, it's going to expose new people to you, which is going to create new opportunities. Giving away your best information free is always a smart idea. And now the second thing that I want to talk about, and this is actually a thing that wasn't, we didn't have time for to include in the podcast. And it's about Facebook ads and kind of how they approach Facebook ads, not just on an influencer marketing sense, but in an, in the like, in just a traditional Facebook ad sense. Now this, I've kind of picked up this information through a bunch of research that I did preparing for this podcast and two through a previous conversation that I had with Nick. I'm not saying this is word for word exactly how this works. This is kind of my interpretation of the Facebook strategy that they use. So don't quote this word for word as this is their strategy and this is Nick's strategy. This Think of this as my interpretation of how Nick approaches Facebook ads. So the first thing that he would focus on would be to create thumb-stopping content. Content is the number one thing that he would focus on. You have to create high-quality content. It has to be engaging. And as he calls it, he calls it thumb-stopping. It has to be thumb-stopping content. People are constantly scrolling. They're scrolling fast through their feed. How do you get them to stop? They would have a bunch of different creative types. They would test all of these creative to see what works best, what people resonate with, what they engage with, what leads to more clicks, what combination of copy and creative would work. And they test hundreds of different ad sets, ad types to see what would perform the best. And then they'd double down on what works best. As I mentioned this again, we talked about this last week. Facebook ads require a ton of testing. You have to test, test, test to figure out what works. And Nick would do that to figure out what content was thumb stopping, what was the best performing content. And then he would invest more money into that. And then what they were, where they would drive people with the ads, which I thought was interesting as well, is we, and we actually touched on this very, very quickly in the podcast, but the ads would drive to advertorial content. And advertorial, I think, I don't even know if that's a real word. There might be one that Nick made up, but what, or an industry term, I don't know. But at the end of the day, what advertorial content is, is it's paid content that you pay. It's content that you paid for to be featured on different popular blogs and things like that, like Refinery21 or Vox maybe. And so they would pay these companies to feature an article, an editorial about Hintwater's founder. And that's where they would drive people. They wouldn't drive them back to Hint Water to just try and convert off the get. They would drive them to this advertorial content and through this advertorial content, they'd read an article about Hint's founder and her story. And they found that people would really resonate and connect with that story. And because they resonated and connect with that story, they would then ultimately become fans and then customers of Hint Water. They focused on the narrative rather than the value prop. And it was through the narrative that people resonated with the brand and became longer customers and just trying to convert them off the get. They tried to make build a relationship and a connection from the customer to the brand to make them longer customers to increase their lo- their lifetime value, which I thought was super interesting again, which is similar to what we talked about last week, where don't just have a sales message, C- provide value for the customer and for the audience. And through that, they will become a customer, right? And entertainment can be a form of value. So that's just another thing that I want to know is they weren't necessarily salesy right off the get in their Facebook ads. They would try and drive them to the advertorial content. And through the advertorial content, they'd read it. They'd grow a connection to the CEO and to the brand. And then I believe at the end of the advertorial content, they'd have like a 20% off coupon or something like that that would then drive people to the site to convert. So I just thought that was super interesting. I wanted to just quickly touch on the Facebook ad strategy there again. That's not word for word what Nick said to me in the past. It's kind of what I picked up through research and a previous conversation I had with Nick. That's my interpretation of how they do ads. I could have missed a step, gotten something wrong. So just make sure when you take that in, take it with a grain of salt. Now, of course, moving on away from Facebook over to Twitter, I want to talk about Twitter and how Nick specifically uses Twitter. He's sitting at over 50,000 followers on Twitter now. I believe he's verified as well. 
And he uses Twitter as a great networking tool and a way to connect with people. Another thing we didn't get the chance to talk about on the podcast was the way Nick learns and how he learns is he tries to go to the number one people in the industry and learn from them. He said in the podcast, he didn't learn very well in a traditional school context. So now he just tries to go and learn directly from the source instead of trying to figure it out himself, which I think is super smart. And he does a lot of that through Twitter, through engaging with people. The way he said he did it, especially early on, was he had a bunch of different lists on Twitter, whether it be for VCs, uh, I think there was Silicon Valley investors, marketers, different, different lists. And he would jump into these lists and engage with people every day. Personally, I think Twitter lists is one of my favorite features on any social platform. I wish they had it on Instagram just because of how much cleaner and easier it is for me to navigate Twitter with the lists. I've had lists in the past after listening, after having the listening, after having the conversation with Nick, I've gone and started to reorganize my Twitter lists because they were starting to get a little bit messy and chaotic. So I'm trying to organize them now in a structure of how he organizes it, whether it be I have one for my podcast guest, I have one for direct consumer marketers, I have one for social media managers, different things like that. And now what I need to do on top of that is what Nick did and something that I need to start doing is prioritize and create time to go in there and engage with people in these lists and just leave valuable comments, valuable feedback, reply to their tweets. And over time, they're going to start to remember you. You're the guy that's always engaging on their tweets and leaving insightful comments. And then those people are going to follow you. And the thing is, when those people follow you and you follow them, it opens up a DM right? You can now DM back and forth. Some people have open DMs for the whole public, but most people have it where you can't send a direct message until you both follow each other. Okay. And once you both follow each other, now you can start messaging some of the top minds in the entire world in your industry. And that's how Nick does it. He leaves insightful comments. He would get the follow back from these, these people would follow him back, which then open up the DM. And now he can go directly to the source and learn things from people that are leaders in their industry just by leaving thoughtful comments on Twitter. I think this is super smart and something I need to spend more time doing. I definitely use social media right now as more of a it's almost, honestly, it's just a distraction at this point. I need to use it with more intention. The day I'm recording this, today is April 5th. Yesterday, I actually took all of my social networks and I put them to the back screen on my phone. So I have to swipe multiple times to get there. And then I put them all in a folder. So I have to swipe, swipe, open the folder and then pick an app. So I can't just mindlessly access, like click on one and start scrolling. And I've already noticed in the last 24 hours, my social usage has gone down. But I want to set aside time to to use social networks, but use them with intention. And I think with Twitter, I'll probably start using it more on my laptop as opposed to my phone just to try and just so that I know when I jump on there on my laptop, I'm using it for a purpose. But I just think the way that he approached Twitter was super smart. And I definitely think there, there's some valuable information there. So if you didn't quite latch onto it there during the first listen, I would go back and listen to that, just that part again about how Nick uses and used his Twitter. Another thing with Twitter, he met someone, I believe it was on Twitter, he met David Perel on Twitter. And if you don't know who David Perel is, it's hard to, for me to explain exactly what he does. He's the founder and teacher of an online course called Rite of Passage. He also has a website called Perel.com where he's a writer. He's written tons of like long form, long form articles that are almost the length of like a short book. Um, he has some great great articles, some awesome, like as Nick said, just some of the smartest and most interesting things in the world. He's just able to distill it down into a way that makes sense. He has a weekly newsletter, a couple weekly newsletters. I'm subscribed to one called Monday Musings, where it's just the most interesting things he's learned over the last week. And again, he distills them down into a way that makes sense. And you just feel smarter after reading that newsletter. And he also has a podcast called the North Star Podcast, where he just interviews a bunch of other smart people. And again, after I listen to that podcast, I feel smarter. And David was the guy on that Sarah DG podcast where I first discovered Nick and him and Nick are really good friends. And so I believe they connected through 
Twitter. And ultimately, this is probably something he's learned from David and also on his own. But we talked about the importance of writing on the podcast because I saw somewhere that Nick wrote was, what's what advice would you give to your younger self? And he said to write more. I was curious as to why. I mean, I kind of had the idea already, one, just through following David and other people, but I wanted to hear from Nick why that was. And he said that there's, that writing is just a really good medium right now because there's, you can, pro- there's probably a white space for, in your niche for you to just take advantage of and start writing in. And I thought that was super interesting. And I was thinking a little bit more on this and obviously why writing is, there's more white spaces because there's less people writing. Makes sense. Pretty obvious. Took me, I was thinking on that for a little bit. And with everyone trying to become YouTubers or TikTok famous, everyone's moving towards creating video content, but not as many people moving towards written content. So there is a a space there if you're a good writer. And two, the way that Nick explained it was that there's a a lot of smart people read longer form written content. He's not saying that you're not smart if you watch YouTube videos, but you can reach a lot of smart industry leaders through written content. So the people that are consuming it might not necess- might be more valuable to you in a business context than if you were just putting out YouTube videos. This ties again into another, there's a lot of connections between last week's takeaways and this one. And then this ties again into it's not how many people are viewing it, it's how many of the right people are viewing it. So just because you might get less views on a blog post than you would a YouTube video, maybe the people reading your blog post, your CEOs, founders, marketing executives, different things like that, you can reach a lot of smart people through writing. You won't reach as many, but the 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 valuable and the quality readers you'll get through a blog post versus a YouTube video is substantially different. So I thought that was super interesting. And I also one thing too when it comes to writing, this is something I want to get into more. And I've even noticed myself in terms of reading. I'm starting to read a lot more. This could also be because I'm home a lot more and I can't go and do anything. So I'm starting to read a lot more and really enjoy it. But an interesting insight that I've noticed about myself is I'm really starting to enjoy long form articles about the YouTube and social media landscape. Like, I don't necessarily like to watch a YouTube video about different things, but I read a full on, like I wouldn't watch, for example, I would not watch a YouTube video about the Hype House, but I read a full long piece article about the Hype House. It was fascinating. I really liked it. And I'm looking for more articles and long pieces like that about the social media space. So it's just interesting that writing, there is a white space there for you to take advantage of. And the way that Nick writes, I thought was also something noteworthy. He says he mentions a great way to organize his thoughts and turn them into writing. And that's through through a that's something he learned from david that i also learned from david through a online workshop called smart sync i'll link it in the in the in the show notes if you want to check it out more but essentially how it works is you use evernote to take everything you read and you take the best stuff of everything you read you copy and paste it or they show you different ways to do it to add it to an evernote and you copy and paste the best things from everything you read would be books articles pdfs and you post it into evernote and then when it's time to come writing you can search up different keywords for whatever your topic is and it'll bring up all of the articles with everything that you've read about insert x topic and it's really interesting and david and tiago i can't remember tiago's last name but Basically, the, the two guys running the workshop, they show you how they put together an interesting thesis and like the kind of like the outline of an article in like less than 10 minutes. And it's going to be like just the way they do it is super interesting. So I'll link that in the comment or in the show notes down below. Now, another thing that I want to touch on quickly is cold emails. And I asked this question. So I knew that Nick, I asked him about cold emails because shortly before we recorded the podcast, he put out a tweet of a cold email he sent to Mark Cuban and Mark Cuban answered And so I wanted to make sure I brought this up on the podcast because I think cold emailing is super valuable and you can accomplish so much 
just by asking people. And I feel like a lot of people are scared to ask. So that's why I brought this up. I wanted to know what, I want Nick to explain how he approaches cold emailing because you can get a lot of places just by asking. I've gotten a lot of guests on this podcast just by asking. So basically I'm going to break it down here how he says the first step is you use social proof. So in his example with Mark Cuban, it was like, Hey, I'd love for you to come on this podcast that my friends have. They have like insert X millions of downloads. He got straight to the point is the second one. He's straight to the point. I want you to come on this podcast. Here's the social proof. And that's pretty much it. Provide social proof and be straight to the point. A lot of these people are busy, but just because they're busy doesn't mean they don't check their email. Everyone's checking their email. So if you can hit someone with an email, get straight to the point, tell them why they should be on it. And you can provide a legitimate reason as to why they should be on it. Then just take a swing. That was the third step. But he said, take a swing. And that's the thing I think a lot of people don't do. They feel like a lot of people won't say yes because they're busy or because of who this person is. But you never know. If you can write a great cold email that's straight to the straight to the point and provide social proof as to why they should be on it, then take a swing. Because honestly, the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to say no. And at the end of the day, in the context of a podcast, if I ask someone to come on my podcast and they say no, I have the same outcome as if I never asked. So at the end of the day, that's not a lot worse, right? But on the flip side, I could ask them and they could say yes. And now I have an awesome guest for my podcast. So cold emailing is an effective way to get ahead in your career, whatever it is you're doing. And if you can write a good cold email, that's going to increase your chances of getting ahead. So this was a really, really important part from the podcast. The last thing I want to touch on really quickly here is I want to touch on how old Nick is. He's only 23 years old. And I've said that whenever I explain to that to people, whenever I'm talking to people about, oh, who's like the guest on the podcast this week, or when I was recording the podcast, like, oh, who are you interviewing soon? I'm like, oh, Nick Sharma. And I kind of explain who he is, 23 years old. This is his background. People be like, man, that's crazy. Like, I wish I was like that lucky and I had that much stuff done at 23, which like, yes, I understand that he's 23 and like my friends, my age group, 22 to 25, we'll say. But at the end of the day, Nick didn't get lucky. That's not like people don't stop and think about the fact that yes, he's only 23, but he's been in the industry now for almost 10 years. There's not like no one that you see that is successful to an actual degree got lucky. There might be some luck involved for sure. I'm not saying there's no luck, but it's not all luck. It's a hell of a lot of hard work. Good things happen to those who work. Just because Nick's 23 doesn't mean he graduated college a year and a half ago and did all of this in a year and a half. He started his first business when he was like 14, 15 in high school. He's been at this for almost 10 years. So it's not a it's not lucky. He's just put in the work and now he's getting some rewards after nearly a decade of work. Good things come to those who work. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Whether you listen the entire way through or you only listen to bits and pieces, I really appreciate you taking the time to check this out. Do me a big favor. Go and follow Nick. Send him a text message. He has a public text number, so I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below. If you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. If you'd like to follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and at my social life podcast or on YouTube by searching up my social life. One last thing, if you did enjoy this takeaways episode, please consider leaving a rating and a review. The more positive ratings and reviews you get the more it helps new people find this show and it really helps to grow the community that we're developing here thank you once again for listening everybody we'll talk soon